Welcome to the Move Forward Podcast with Dr. Kim Moss. We are here to move you forward in the call of God for your life, your career, and your ministry through prophetic insight, practical teaching, and powerful conversations with influential leaders. Never throw away your confidence. It is time to move forward. Well, hey, everybody, welcome to the Move Forward podcast. I'm your host, as usual, Dr. Kim Moss. I think I say that every single time, and uh, it must get annoying sometimes, but it's true. And so I have a special guest for you today. I'm so excited for you to meet my friend, a prophetic voice, an influencer of influencers, a leader, a preacher, a scholar, soon to be Dr. Bob Hazlett, I'm hearing, and uh, father, husband, and my friend, Bob Hazlett. I'm so glad that you're here today, Bob. Thank you for joining me. Now, oh, Bob Hazlett- it's great to be here. Wow, that's a oh. lot of roles that I play. <laughs> <laughs> Bob Hazlett is a proven prophetic voice. His teaching and prophetic ministry has been featured on God TV, TBN, Daystar, and Bethel TV. Bob Hazlett is a friend to leaders and a sought-after speaker and author. He has a strong healing and prophetic gifts that follow his ministry. Bob has a passion to empower people in the spiritual gifts in order to fulfill their life purpose. He has traveled extensively throughout the United States internationally. Bob lives in Connecticut with his wife, Kimberly, and his two daughters, April and, and Abby. Bob likes to say, if you love to do something, you'll do it often. And if you do it often, you will become good at it. Paul said this to his young student, Timothy, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. That's from 2 Timothy 1.6. Paul instigated the, instigated the passion in Timothy, but Timothy had to sustain it. And God will use other people to initiate passion in you, but you'll have to establish it. When Bob travels and he travels often, he likes to regularly post thoughts online to stay engaged with anyone wanting to know how to grow in their prophetic gifting. He is the author of The Roar, God's Sound in a Raging World, and Think Like Heaven, Change Your Thinking, Change Your World. You can find out more about Bob at bobhazlett.org. Bob, I'm so glad you're here today, and I want to just get started. How's that? That is great, but I'm a little bit tired listening to my bio. I sound like a busy guy. <laughs> I know. I always think it's it's always interesting to read everybody's bio because when I meet you guys in person, you know, I I get the relational side of you, and you and you are you are very smart and a very nice man, and um and you are easy to talk with and converse with. And then I read your bio, and yes, our bios are always so professional and uh and you have that side of you of course so and i know that you're in school aren't you in school right now i did go back to school i i um haven't been in school for a while and uh i'm a, i'm a learner i'm a i'm a reader i read a lot of books i don't finish as many as i read but i do read a lot uh, but yeah i decided to go back uh for another academic degree i think it's really important in these days that we're able to articulate our faith and and that we can accurately live out what the bible says as well as demonstrate it and i know you agree with that yeah i completely agree with that so before we get into the topic that i asked you on this program for um i want to ask you a few questions that are sort of personal but i always love to hear the answers so would you describe yourself in three words words and then tell us why did you choose those three words 
Yeah, I think the first one would be curious. Uh, I'm just an extremely curious person. I, I've, I was that kid that always asked a lot of questions of my parents, especially if we're going on road trips. Where are we going? When are we going to get there? What are we going to do when we get there? I think that's part of um, you know, my prophetic nature. It's part of the way I'm wired. Uh, I also am very forward-minded. Um, I have to really, really work hard at staying present. Uh, and also because I'm curious, I have to, I have to also focus hard on a, one topic and sometimes I can get easily um, sidetracked, but because I'm forward-minded, I have to work hard at being present because uh, I am very strategic in the way I look and, yeah. and I, I'm always looking toward the future. I, I, my wife likes to say I'm five steps ahead of her, but I actually feel like she's the one who helps me to stop and smell the roses as I'm trying mm -hmm. to take a shortcut through the garden of life. <laughs> um, and I guess the third word I would use for myself really is just um, a kid. You know, I, I'm, I've tried to condition myself to not be an expert, to be, to be a learner, to be childlike in my faith and to demonstrate of my faith. And I want to be that way with God. Like I want to be a mature son, but I also want to be, have something childlike about me. Um, and when it comes to deep topics, like we're going to talk about like prophecy and yeah. the word of God and, and discovering how God speaks. I think it's really super important that we maintain a kind of childlike wonder about ourselves. And so those are things that I sort of am naturally, but I also try to intentionally maintain those three positions. Yeah, I think that's really good. I haven't had anyone say, describe themselves as curious. I think that, I think that's a marvelous word. And, uh, and I think that it, it is really conducive when you're curious. I think it's very conducive to the prophetic uh, gifting and nature, don't you? When, you, when you're naturally wanting to know more about what does that mean and where is that going and where are we headed? I, I, think, that's an, I think that's a great word, how to describe yourself. I can really relate to the forward-minded staying present. And uh, I've had to many times remind myself and, and get little quotes. I get little quotes and different things to remind myself to stay present because oftentimes, and I think, don't you think that's also part of the prophetic being prophetic is that you see what's happening up here. And so it is hard to stay present. The other thing that I noticed, and uh, maybe, maybe uh, you do too, is that I, once something has happened or I have accomplished, I'm, I'm very uh, type A. So once th something has been accomplished and I've completed a project or something like that, I'm already way over here thinking about the next thing. And I don't really, sometimes I forget to really celebrate and be in the moment about what has just happened and, and what, what we just have done in the, in the recent past. Yeah, I'm, I completely relate to that. And the curiosity side of it, I think is, um, something I didn't realize about myself. I knew I was a person that sort of always asked questions, but I, I, I have a quote in my community, in my prophetic community, I say curiosity is the precursor to revelation um, because it really does. Asking questions is what leads us to answers. And Jesus created that kind of culture with his followers. He rarely gave them answers. He many times created opportunities for them to ask questions like who do people say that I am who do you say that I am and revelation comes out 
of that curiosity. So that's why God leads us into places of uncertainty. That's I've tried to live that way. I live curious and see what God says out of it. And of course, learning that forward-mindedness needs, means that we have to, you said it so well, celebrate um, the small and the big victories. But yeah. I, I love what you said. You find yourself planning the next thing after, the, after you accomplish something. I'm actually planning the next three things before I even accomplish the first thing. Yeah. <laughs> I was today thinking about, I'm like five steps ahead in my head. And, I, and if I told anybody, they'd tell me to slow down. Um, yeah. But I've learned to slow down as well and, and celebrate before it's accomplished even. I think that's important. And for a forward-minded person like you, maybe that's it. Learn to celebrate before you've accomplished. That satisfies your forward-mindedness. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would work really well. So now tell me, what is the best compliment you've ever received and why was it the best? Oh, that is such a hard question to answer it because- is. I am so awesome. I get so many compliments. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, that's the first time I've heard that. I figured you like that answer. Um, no, that's not, that's not the true answer, to be honest with you. I thought about this because you, you did tell me you're going to ask this question. And this is a, yeah. this is a, a, a question I really pondered. Um, because there, there are, you know, nice and honoring things people say. And then there's things, you know, you need to grow in yourself. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to be super vulnerable about the answer to this question. and super honest because I, I actually didn't want to give you the real answer. Because um, it's deeply emotional. It's deeply personal. Because yeah. um, <clears throat> people will compliment you about your gift a lot. It's particularly if you're a public figure, that's how they know you. They know you in your best moments, you know, your Photoshopped pictures, your edited right. videos, um, All your makeup you know, your, your, yeah. Yeah. When you hit the word of knowledge, right. Things like that. Yeah. Um, but I, it's a, it's a comment that I get pretty consistently and it usually isn't publicly, but people will remark about my gift, but about my humility. And oh, good. it's hard to like say that, like when you say, well, what's a compliment you get that you really like? Well, I'll be honest with you when people say, wow, you're humble, you carry yourself with humility. Um, it's a little daunting. It's a little bit uh, intimidating, but it's also, it inspires a fear of God in me because it's something I asked for very early on in, uh, in ministry as I was struggling with the weight of some of the prophetic promises over my life and what they meant. Um, and I and I desperately ask the Lord, before you give me any of these things, give me humility. Mm. And what I discovered out of that was, and I felt like the Lord told me, I'll do that, but it's not a place, it's not a destination. It's a journey and you have to choose to take it and retake mm. it with every success and every failure. There has to be a choice that we make. And it's a compliment that it's hard to carry, but it's also a good check. And anytime we get a compliment, it's good to say to ourselves, how, how realistic is that? And how can I really see that in myself better? Uh, but how can I continue to exemplify what people say they see in me? And that's one that I say I, I intentionally seek to grow in and um, want to demonstrate more. 
So that's it's a, it's a pretty intense question you asked, and it's a pretty intense place <laughs> to start. But it's it's an honest answer. If when someone says, "Wow, you're you're more humble <laughs> than I expected," I'm like, "Well, do you think oh. that was a, <laughs> a jerk, or are you just really saying like, wow, you know, there's something you carry that I that I honor, and I, and I hope it's the second part, um, you know, that we want to exemplify that part of Jesus that mm-hmm. knew who he was so much that he didn't have to prove it; he just was." Yeah, that's really good. Yeah. And I and I thank you for being honest about it. And because it is a hard question. And, um, and it's one of my favorite questions, because um, usually, if a compliment meant something to you, it's because it touched something in the core of you. It's something that's important to you. And um, it's one of the reasons that I asked the question. And so I'm so glad to hear you. Uh, answer it that way. And you, and you do carry humility. And I think that uh, from the very first time that I met you, um, you seem to be like no nonsense. The first time I met you, you were very no, you seem to be a very no nonsense. And I really liked that about you. And, um, and, uh, and I, of course, you and I both have met many other prophets and prophetic ministers and leaders and world leaders. And, and, um, and I have to say, Bob, I, I, I haven't been able to say this to you before, but you know what? I, I trust you. There's something about you that, um, and it probably is your humility, but I have always, when you have spoken, I ha- there is, there is an, an anointing on you and the way, and it is the way you carry yourself that I have known from the beginning that you could be trusted. And, and, um, and that's a big thing. And especially in our day, that's a really big thing. So thank you for being honest about that. And uh, that was a beautiful, that was a beautiful comment. So now tell us a key decision or event in your life that God used to significantly shape you as a leader. Um, Yeah, that has to be hands down the decision to marry my wife. I mean, other than follow Jesus, right? Um, The person that is the closest to you. outside of your relationship with God and knows the most about you and cares the most about you and adds the most value to you and challenges you the most is that life partner. And, you know, uh, I've told the story many times that, you know, I always knew I'd marry a blonde haired blue eyed pastor's daughter, but, you know, I didn't (laughs) know the reason why I, um, and that story is common. So I won't tell it. I won't tell it now how we met, but uh, it's just the way that she's wired, you know, our personalities. I'm an INTJ. She's an ENFP. If you know what that means, it yes. means we're complete opposites, but we, we kind of complete each other. And um, so, you know, I process things internally. She processes everything externally. Um, I tend to be judge, judgmental and, 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 and get information and, and judge it. And she tends to just, she's the life of the party. She enjoys life. I, I show up late. Uh, I show up early to a party and leave early. She shows up late and leaves late. In fact, she does. She never leaves the party. She, <laughs> she is the party. So she is the party. Um, that, yeah, hands down. It's it's shaped me in my uh, communication yeah. um, gift. It's shaped me in my love for people. It's shaped me in my love for God. It's shaped me in everything that you would say you need as a leader. So um, that decision that's a make it or break it for a lot of people. Right. And, yeah, and uh, right. marriage is a very important decision and it can, yeah. it can strengthen you or uh, it can, you know, challenge you. And, and marriage is a challenge. I mean, we all know that we, it's like something that grows you 
So I'm yeah. not saying like, wow, we are this perfect couple that does everything perfectly. <laughs> we definitely understand each other. We've wrestled to understand each other's strengths and limitations and to, to help each other grow in those places. And she's done that well for me. I, I've thought many times, I, I can't imagine what it would be like, uh, you know, if I hadn't made that decision. So that's an easy one. Um, it's, <laughs> that's so I'm, good. I'm definitely not answering it as deeply as I could, but um, I am saying that's an, that's an easy one. I'm married, I married up. <laughs> I married up. That's awesome. I'm married we way just... out of my, my, way out of my pay range. <laughs> way out. Uh, Bishop Garlington says, son, you out, you out through your coverage or you out kicked your coverage with her. That's what he says. So I don't know what that means, but I love football analogies somehow. I, yeah, I definitely uh... scored. <laughs> That's so awesome. Mike and I were just, we just, we just started going to, cause you know, we just moved, you know, that to Idaho and uh, we just started attending a church called Heart of the City. And uh, we decided to go to their, they call it the growth track, but it's like their membership class, you know, and uh, we haven't been to one of those in a very long time now, of course. And, uh, and in the membership class, we had to take the Enneagram. Do you, have you ever done this? And I love yeah, I love personality tests. I think they're so fun. I'm an ENTJ, actually, and uh, I and Mike never took that that one. And uh, but we both had to take. And of course, yes, like you, we came out complete opposites. <laughs> and I was, and I've known that for years, but um, it has been it has been a great combination over the years. Once we wrestled through all our differences, you know, and and got to this place. So I agree, marriage is is uh, an important shaping tool for sure. So let's get into our topic. I know that the very first time that I met you, I wanted to just tell this little story. So I know that you've already read it before because I sent it to you. But the very first time I met you, I don't know if you even remember, but I was a doctoral student and you were speaking at the VOP and Randy brought me behind the scenes. And he said, because I was doing a dis dissertation on prophecy on prophetic community. And I had a questionnaire because I was going to be interviewing various prophets to, uh, to get their take on what they see in the church and different things you know you have you have all those things you have to do for your dissertation and so he said I want you to meet Bob Hazlett I was like okay I was so nervous and we came back we came back behind the behind the stage you know and we were in the little like green room area and you were with Jamie Galloway so I sat down with you and then a couple other students joined us and then John Ruthven joined us and a few others and and got um Randy had arranged this so I could ask you the questions in my questionnaire. But as we started talking, all the other students started talking and John started engaging with you about some theological thing about prophecy. And I never got to ask you the questions. And I was so sad about that. But um, but it was fun to hear you interact and talk about the prophetic. And um, and right away, I could tell that you had you had a deeper knowledge. It wasn't just a just a gift to you. There was something about a connection with God. And um, and it was really great. And so then I went out and I listened to you opened up that conference. And uh, and I think Cindy Jacobs was at that conference that year. And uh, I'm not sure because I've heard you speak at the Voice of the Prophet several times, but you opened up the conference and I had never heard you speak before. And as soon as you announced that God was about to do something new, there was thunder and light. Do you remember this one? We were in Lancaster, Pennsylvania at the big at the the convention center. And I mean, the thunder and the light was so loud, we could hear it inside the building. And it was as though God was <laughs> confirming what you just said. It was 
it was uh, it was so uh, full of wonder. It was an amazing moment, and I think that was the same conference that you prophesied to Randy that he was going to get a million dollar check and a million dollar check came in. And, uh, and then of course that was the same conference where Mike and I were walking up the aisle and you, you just smacked us with a, with like a 10 minute prophecy that then somebody wrote out for me, thank God. And uh, about moving everything about moving out. And we'd lived in that same state in California for 60 years, the two of us, but you said we would be moving to the Pacific Northwest and you saw for sale signs all around us. And you spoke to Mike's fear that he would have about moving. Cause he's very, he's, he's, he's very good with money and everything is calculated for him. And, um, and anyway, you know, six years later, that word came to pass. And so I'm so excited to have you on and talk about prophetic things because I've talked to many people lately. I've talked to them about the teachings that they are, they are, uh, that is part of their calling that came out of their life message. And I know you have those too, but I really wanted to have you on Bob to talk about prophecy. So, um, so thank you for coming on and here, and here's my first question to you. I want to know, how are you seeing and discerning the state of the church right now? We've been through, a, we've been through a year and a half of pandemic. It's been very difficult for many people. And I think that they, um, there's been a lot of, you can feel the oppression and the depression and the anger and all of that in the air for the world, you know? Um, but then we've also had an election that was very disruptive and things going on with the prophetic movement. So I just want to ask you, how are you seeing the state of the church and the prophetic movement and, um, and, and how that relates to prophets and prophecy? I think you understand what I'm asking. Yeah. I mean, obviously we could spend hours talking about this one um, question, yeah. but let me, let me um, kind of guide it by three things I've already said. At the end of 2019, I came out with a little document, 20 things about 2020. And there were seven things I wrote about the church. Three of them were these. This is going to be a year of major course correction in the prophetic movement, uh, personal discipline um, for maturity. And, and the, the, the um, prophetic movement is going to go through a major correction moment. I also said that the revival culture, the revival um, movement would move from large gatherings to building more community and that supernatural communities would be the norm moving forward. And third, I said that in the last 20 years, we've emphasized the, the office of the prophet or the gift of the prophet alongside the gift of the evangelist, a hybrid gift that created tools for, evan uh, for evangelism and for the harvest. But the next 20 years would be the emergence of a hybrid between the apostolic gift and the pastoral gift, which would create local revival centers that would tra bring transformation to cities and regions. Okay. Those are things I published way before pandemic. I feel like we've started to see the beginnings of those things. We definitely had a major course correction in the prophetic. Let's just say we are at a moment of maturity. Um, we still are in that course correction. Some of it hasn't shaken out yet, but we are in a Hebrews 12 discipline moment in the prophetic, if we will submit to discipline like a father disciplines his son, then we won't have to be scourged. That's the second half of Hebrews 12. The beginning of it, it says that if you don't submit to discipline, you're scourged, which that doesn't feel good. Um, so it's either, you know, we kind of take our medicine or we get a spanking. 
And (laughs) that's where I'm going to put it right there, right? We could talk about that more if you like. The second part of that is God's building prophetic communities and supernatural communities. We are in a, a shift of the disruption and the reconstruction or deconstruction in some cases of what, what church is like. And so what church is going to look like is going to be different, but the whole revival culture, the gathering culture um, is, is morphing into, I think a lot of revivalists are becoming local leaders. You're seeing this happen um, with a lot of revivalists that have traveled around uh, doing evangelism and revivalism are actually becoming disciplers, building communities. And that's a, that's a good thing. It's a huge thing. And I see that as that third point, this hybrid of the apostolic gift and the pastoral gift coming together. I think this is all for the end game of Ephesians 4, because Ephesians 4 says that he's, he, has, he wants a church that has leaders, and we call those leaders, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, and that has ministers. That's all of us doing the work of our ministry. But the end game is that we all come to the fullness of the stature of the measure of Christ. So we're going to look like Jesus. That's maturity. So right. these things have to happen for the church to come to a place of maturity. That's a course correction in the prophetic movement. That's the emergence of a new um, leadership hybrid that creates community. And then that's the establishing of healthy, life-giving, spiritual communities that will transform their cities and their regions. Well, I think that's really good. I would like to hear more about discipline and discipline or spanking. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I totally agree with you. I think that we are going through a course correction. And I, I think that it's it's not for, mm-hmm. of course, condemnation and shaming, all of that. It really is because um, we need we need prophets and prophetic ministers who um, can carry the word of the Lord uh, in even a greater greater authority and influence uh, in this next season as we enter into. I, I just feel I, I have been feeling like we are not we are going to see some troubling times in in the world in our nation, you know, and um, and we're going to need we're going to need very strong leadership in the church. We're going to need very strong. Uh, prophets and and seers and those who who understand what God is doing and and how to navigate those times and um, but we do have to go through this course correction and 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 so talk to me a little bit more about that what does that look like what does that mean what is it exactly that we need to correct what what are you feeling like needs because we say a course correction but I think that oftentimes we don't then say what part of the course is getting corrected Right. Well, that's true. I mean, correction is just discipline and discipline is part of relationship. So number one, you know, God disciplines us in love because we're children, we're sons and daughters. In fact, that word is mature, mature children. And so um, that's discipleship without discipleship and discipline, we won't become mature. You, you mentioned in your introduction of me, a conference, and I remember the conference and I do remember the things that happened that you described and Cindy, Cindy Jacobs was there and John Paul Jackson was there, by the way. Yes. I saw John Paul and um, I I got about 10 minutes with him alone in the green room. We spent some time, I spent some time with everybody there, but I I really just wanted to spend some time with him because we had met a couple of times before very, very early in my process. And here I am you know, kind of like, I don't even know what that I remember that conference feeling like, why am I here in this same room with these guys? Right. It was that kind of a moment. And I, and I, so I sit with John and I said, can I ask you a question? He's like, sure. 
And John Paul, I said, I have this thing that I feel like it's the Lord doing in me. And I, I just want to run it by you. And I said, I, when I'm in airplanes, I have to, I have to, when I go and use a restroom in an airplane, I can't leave it without cleaning it. And I have this thing in coffee shops and I don't know, I, don't, I know I'm not OCD. I'm not that much of a clean <laughs> freak at home. I'm not a dirty guy, but I'm not, I said, I feel like it's connected to the prophetic somehow. Do you, does that make sense to you? Because I, I want to be a, a father and I see him as a father. He really did a good job in, in creating a culture, a prophetic culture. And he, he looked at me and he said, well, who, who told you to do that? I said, that was out of my relationship with the Holy Spirit. He said, I actually teach my interns. It's one of the exercises I give them to do as part of their internship. Um, I do it too, Bob. Yeah. It's, and he, he said, can I tell you why you do it? I said, yeah. He said, it's just, it's the time you're in, but it shows you that you're stewarding the secret places of your heart. Well, where nobody else is seeing them and you're creating space for God to then, you know, speak to you because that's, that's part of discipline. And yeah. so what I want to say to you before we talk about course correction and, and we need to bring discipline to the prophetic movement, yeah. we all need discipline in our lives. Yes. We all need it because what it does is it creates space for God to come in and to bring maturity. And we know that the Bible says God reveals his secrets to his servants, the yeah. prophets. And so all I'm doing is I'm serving wherever I, I'm cleaning up messes wherever I go. And that will allow God to speak to me the secrets of his heart, because I'm stewarding the secret places of my heart. He will trust me with the secret places of his heart. Does that make sense? Good. Yes. So, so that's discipline. And if we don't do that well, then God has to come in and help us to do that. And we can talk about, you know, the various areas of that. It could be conduct, it could be the way we're handling the prophetic, the integrity of that. It could be financial issues. It could be, you know, just private, personal purity issues. All of those things are important to God and they're part of our discipline process. But I do believe we are in a place um, in the prophetic movement, particularly in America, where we've had the opportunity for discipline. We've had the opportunity for private repentance and I can't judge anyone else's private repentance. So I cannot point a finger or, you know, and I won't rejoice at their public scourging, so to speak. But I, I do feel like we are at a place that if we don't get some fear of the Lord in us and we find our way to a place of repentance and humility, that there will be some public things that will happen. Um, and we can choose this, as we t- talked before, we can choose humility, we can choose to, to submit to discipline, and we can see it as a benefit for us. But yeah. we have had, you know, issues of integrity around the prophetic, we've had issues of, um, I think, the confusion between our convictions, our opinions, and thus saith the Lord, that's, yes. that's got to be, you know, corrected. And we also have to return back to some basic biblical literacy and and theological orthodoxy. Uh, We've got to get the heart of God. And we've had to really rediscover the testimony of Jesus and the spirit of prophecy in our day. Because if we can't see what Jesus is doing, the testimony of Jesus, we won't have the right spirit to to uh, that emanates what he's what he wants to say. And so the, the way that we view what Jesus is doing is going to impact the spirit of prophecy that we 
that we prophesy from. And we want to prophesy from the spirit of prophecy, which is the Holy Spirit. Um, but it's also clear in the Bible that there are other places we can prophesy from our own spirit. Uh, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. Um, yeah. and, and we can also prophesy by the spirit of the day and be affected by what's going on in the day. So these are all, I think, deeper conversations, but points that we can yeah. deal with our personal integrity issue and then our the, the place of the spirit that we come from and, and being able to discern our, or to judge our spirit so that our our mental disposition, our spiritual disposition, our emotional disposition, are all places that affect our revelation, that those things are clear. And then our external relationships and the connections we have with others, those are all important parts of the prophetic um, persona that we have to be aware of and we have to move into a place of maturity and health so that we can be complete, lacking nothing. Oh, I think that is so good. Yeah, that is so good. So I think that you said something also in the very beginning, how you began the, the, uh, this last, this last, these last comments, um, you said that you, you know, you, you can't judge anybody else's heart right now and all of that. And I think that's a, a good word for those who might be listening, who are not prophets, not prophetic leaders or ministers. Um, but you've watched, all the some of the things that have happened, and you're seeing some of the some of the uh, issues that we're talking about, the, and you you see that there's a correction needed. But I think it's important for them to for people to guard their heart, their own heart, about when they see others going through a correction or going through a discipline or even going through a scourging. You know, we we don't want to jump on that and start saying, you know. Uh, condemning things, uh, judge judgmental things, and um, because you know we we all like you said we all could use some discipline and we all could use some correcting at various times in our life and right now and um, I so I I just want to remind our people about that and those who are listening but Bob I want you if you are a very strong prophetic leader and I do think that you are a father in the prophetic movement so what would you say right now to seasoned and emerging leaders or prophets who might be listening to you and what you just said right now do you have do you, would you how would you guide them in this moment? That's a, that's a, such an excellent question. And um, I want to just point out something about what you said about um, how we handle other people's things. Back to Hebrews yes. 12, that he <clears throat> disciplines us as sons and daughters. So, so discipline and correction is relational. And so if someone is going through a period of discipline, if I'm in relationship with them, I have a responsibility to actually share if I see something in their, in, in their life. If, yes. I'm not in, if I'm not in relationship with them, I have no responsibility. And therefore, I am actually in violation of, of biblical correction to try to do that in a public way. And so I, I, I am huge on wanting accountability in my life. And I have not been afraid of calling people that I'm in relationship with into account uh, what they're doing. But people that I'm not in personal relationship with, if I start judging their repentance process or dis- discipline process, I am, I am not, it's not a good thing. And it's not going to lead me into a good place. I'm not the policeman of the prophetic, but I am responsible for the relationships I'm in. As to what, what would I say to um, 
emerging and, and established voices? I think that was the question. Yes. Um, here's, here's what I want to say to emerging voices, because I, 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 feel, I feel so um, encouraged that there's been such a dynamic energy around the prophetic. 20 years ago, you know, the prophetic was still pretty quirky. It was for kind of, it was a niche kind of a thing. Now it's coming to the mainstream. It's kind of hip and cool. Um, I'm not saying I'm totally hip and cool. I try to be, I'm just saying it's not as quirky as it was 20 years ago when I was being introduced to it and introduced in it. Um, that means that there's not as much of a cost. There's actually more of a draw toward it because we've made it kind of not scary anymore. So it's not, it's not, it's not yeah. quirky. It's cool to be prophetic, which also gives us a different kind of motivation to do it outside of relationship. So I'd say number one, that your motivation for wanting to move in the revelatory realm, be prophetic, be a voice for God has to be relational because everything God does is relational. And yeah. the, the first thing, and people ask me all the time, you know, what can I do to prophesy better? How can I help to grow people in the prophetic community better? What's the first thing you would do? And I just say the first thing I did do. And the first thing I would do is develop a deep personal relationship with the Holy spirit, who is the spirit of prophecy deep, deep relational um, well of relationship with him and teach people and lead people into relationship with the Holy Spirit, number one. Number two, there is a process of maturity. And in, in with you, I'm sure you would relate to this as well, Kim. We had a process that we were brought through, sometimes, you know, kicking and screaming. Yes. Uh, sometimes, you know, it was, it, it felt like torture, but it was yeah. mentoring and tormenting at the same time. And there's a process of maturity before you ever are given a platform because platforms were not awarded to you like participation ribbons when we were, you know, coming up, you know, you didn't get (laughs) a following just because, you know, you deserve one and you're a person. You, you really had to gain the trust of leaders and, and you really, you had to have favor with God before you had favor with man, but we have fake favor now. We have fake favor that yes. you can easily attain in the in the social culture that we live in. Right. It's not the favor of God when you build a large social media following. It might be, but it probably is just learning how to market yourself well. So we're in a time right now where platform comes before process. And that's just a reality. That is not a criticism. That's just a reality. And if you're a younger person, if you're emerging prophetic voice, be aware of that. Your platform is way bigger than your process right now. You, you are on a platform that outweighs your character or your gift. And just be aware of it. And then you have to find your self-limiting times. So David had to find self-limiting times. Find time to go away. You don't have to post every miracle. You don't have to post every prophetic word. Yes, you don't have to write everything that's in your journal. You just don't have to. And it's actually good. Find a selfish way to do that. I teach my students, look, the father rewards in public what he sees in secret. And if you do your good works to be seen by men, then that's your reward. But if you do your good works for the father to see, then great is your reward in heaven. So the moment that you post a miracle, that's your reward. And if you want to spend your reward to encourage people, to inspire them, to help them maybe to want to do a miracle, that's a good thing. But you just took that out of the bank of heaven and you're taking a temporal reward like follows for something that you could have had an eternal reward for. 
So be a little selfish and say, I'm not going to post this miracle. I'm not going to post this prophetic word. I'm going to keep this in the bank of heaven because it pays off in eternity. So when I stand before the father, he's like, no one else gave you a like for this one. So I'm going to give you a jewel in your crown. And if you want to trade jewels in your crown for likes and followers, that's your choice, but you don't have to do that. And that's my encouragement. And it's, I know it's hard because we're living in that day and age, but Jesus chose not to reveal everything about himself because he wanted people to discover the father for themselves. And I think as you're growing, this was another John Paul Jackson quote. I remember just sitting across from it, you know, is the, the, the more mature you are in the prophetic, the, the more, you know, but the less you say. And I think that's a lesson we can learn. So I think developing a relationship with the Holy Spirit and embracing a process that you don't have to in these days before you embrace the platform. And that maybe that sounds like old fashioned, but actually it's biblical. It's healthy for you. And it's going to make you grow into the fullness of the stature of the measure of Christ, not just look big, but be big. Oh, I think that's so good. And I think that the, the whole social media thing, I think that it can be such a wonderful tool, but it also can be a snare. You know, it's just because as prophetic people, I know that, that for me, I guess I can't, I can't speak for you, Bob, but, but there is a lot of pressure in, in this type of ministry. I think there's a lot of pressure on every leader, but there's a pressure to perform. And there is always that little uh, voice that says, Oh, you know, you need to compete for your place. And I think that comes with for every leader, but on social media, that is really strong. It's just a really strong draw and, uh, and you can get sucked in really quickly. If you are, if you are an emerging leader, if you are merging prophetic voice and you haven't had a lot of, a lot of seasoning yet, or, and, and a lot of, you haven't gone through a lot of those tests so that you can resist that it's, it's hard to resist. And uh, we wouldn't want you to get caught up in, in competition, you know, to try and find your place or to try and uh, find approval or any of those types of things. And, uh, and we wouldn't want you to be uh, under this huge pressure to perform because it's not about your performance. It really is about the relationship you have with God and doing, doing what he has shown you to do. So I think that that was beautifully said, Bob, thank you. So what are you seeing about the season that we're in right now um, for the larger church, not just prophetic voices and, and ministers, but what are you, what are you seeing about the season we're in right now? And, and how should we, how can we navigate the season in order to thrive, not just survive it? Well, that's a, that's a good question. I mean, anybody, anybody had that answer, <laughs> you know, they should just write the book and, and make the millions. I, I think we're in a season of uncertainty. You know, right. So, okay. We've been in, we've been disrupted and we as prophetic people, we always, we always were focused on what's next and what's new and, and visioneering toward the future. You know, let's go to another test strength finders. My, my top three are visionary or futuristic, strategic and direct. You know, so that's oh. perfect for me. I, I can tell you your future. I can tell you how to get there. And I can tell you really quick, really straightforward, as you said, 
no, uh, what do you say? No nonsense. Right? No nonsense. <laughs> that's no nonsense. I like that's that. my direct just, side. No nonsense. Just give it to me straight, yeah, Bob. Just don't, yeah, don't um, make it nice. Just tell me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've learned to try. Hopefully I've tried to be nice now. You but are. I know I, um, so what, what I think is we are in a similar moment to um, John 14, when Jesus was in that transition moment with his disciples, he said, Hey, I'm going to go. You can, you can't go with, you can't follow me, but you will follow me. Right. And then, then they, it created all this curiosity again, he's creating curiosity for them to ask questions and he does. And the three main questions come from Peter. No, no surprise there, Thomas and, and Philip, who's a solution guy. So by the way, I don't call Thomas Downing Thomas. I call him Curious Thomas. <laughs> I, don't think he's a, that's awesome. I don't think he's a cynic. I think he's a skeptic, and that's a good thing. So yeah. um, they ask these questions, and Jesus doesn't give them direct answers. But he says, I'm going to go. I'm going to prepare a place for you called the Father's house. And this is him telling him, telling them, I'm going to leave, and you guys are going to build the church. And they're basically asking him, how do you want us to build this church? And he's like, just follow me, and you'll get there eventually. And it'll look like the father's house and it'll make a lot of room for a lot of people and many people will be welcome. And there's a lot of space. And that is not what we want. We want him to say like, put the studs in place this way, decorate it like this. And he didn't do that. So he's not telling us what it looks like in the season. That's a good thing because it creates a, a couple things. Uncertainty creates expectation. The unknown creates an opportunity for creativity and this um, place of the unfamiliar creates an opportunity for us to explore where we've been and then to discover where we're going. So finding the new in the old. And a lot of us are in that space, right? We're yes. uncertain and that can create hopelessness or it can create hope because the Bible says hope that is certain is not hope at all, which means that hope is actually created in uncertainty. The second thing is the unknown and that is, we can just get locked up and, and, and get paralyzed or we can start to create. So we've got a blank canvas. We don't have lines to paint in. So let's just start painting with no lines, not outside the lines. Just, just like paint with no lines and see what comes. That's the language of discovery, not definition. And re- religion is not comfortable with discovery. Religion wants definition. Bob wants definition, right? Because <laughs> yeah. that feels comfortable, but God wants us to go into discovery. So there has been a disruption, even a dismantling of old systems, but there's a discovery of something new and it's not well-defined. And if we define it too soon, we'll define it too small. So don't define it too soon. Go on the discovery with them because it's way bigger than you can imagine right now. That's dealing with the unknown. And the third thing is the unfamiliar because we're in this very unfamiliar space. And our tendency is then to start to um, experiment and experimenting is good. But I think one of the things God is doing is taking us back to the roots of ancient Christianity, restoring us back to what we originally originally were, what Jesus paid for. And I think That's we right. see a lot of church movements, young people, as well as established church movements, going back to orthodoxy, yeah. going back to the, to the primitive church and looking yeah. at the apostles and, and what they did and discovering the new in the old. And that's a good thing. So those are general things that I see. That's not just in a charismatic Pentecostal world. I think that's the church. I actually think that's going to cause us to emerge into sort of, I I think, I think we're going to come together a lot better in, 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 uh, instead of creating different camps. I think we're going through this similar 
um, evolution discovery process together. And I think we're going to look like, you know, the church that Jesus died for, which is a beautiful bride without mm -hmm. spot or wrinkle washed in the blood of the lamb. <laughs> yeah. I think that's great. I, uh, in, in, uh, Isaiah 29, 11, which we, we, you know, we, uh, sorry, Jeremiah 20, 29, 11. Yeah. Um, we say a lot, we throw that scripture around a lot, you know, about God knows the plan. I know the plans I have for you. They're for good and not for evil, but it comes in the context of an exiled people who were completely dislocated from everything that they knew before. You know, they, everything has changed. They don't know what the future is looking like. They're in some kind of, they're in a sort of a transition. They're in a, a pagan land. You know, they, they're, they're not able to practice their religion the way they did before. And, um, and so they're nervous, of course, and, and some of them feel hopeless. And the prophet comes and says, you know, um, God knows the plans, there's a future, you know, and what is what happens in that time when you do the historical, when you look at the background, and you look at the history of the of the Hebrew people, and during that time, um, after that exile, and when Jeremiah said that, right after that came, uh, came a great renaissance type of period. It was one of the most creative times uh, that mm. came out of that period of dislocation and transition, which is the same thing as what you're saying, you know, that mm. we, we go through these times, we go through these transitions right now. It's a huge sort of a transition. And, and um, like you, I don't feel like I see exactly what's coming. I just know that we're in transition and I don't know exactly what it's going to look like when we come out of it. Um, but it is, it is a great time to discover and stir up our hunger. And uh, I think that was beautifully said. So now I want to know, uh, the last time that I saw you was actually at the VOP, the last VOP. And, um, and I was in, I was in your sessions, but one of the, one of the sessions you talked about a very harrowing experience that you just recently had. And, um, and, and uh, after going through it, you, it really sort of opened up some new things to you and you felt like there was hope that was attached to your experience. And of course, we know that oftentimes uh, prophetic people will go through experiences and they're, actually prophetic. They're actually, they can be um, a sign to others about what God is about to do. But, um, but what you talked about was very hopeful. And I feel like there's a lot of listeners. I felt like, like uh, God was showing me that there would be a lot of listeners who would listen to this particular podcast, especially that, that we're struggling with hope right now. So would you talk a little bit about that? Anything that you want to tell us and explain to us and, um, and give my listeners a little bit of hope today? Yes, I would love to. Now, I was, we went through a lot of harrowing experiences last year. <laughs> you had so. an accident. Yes. You okay, my had. motorcycle accident. Yes. Uh, yes. I mean, we've all been through a harrowing experience, haven't we? Um, <laughs> yes. The pandemic, I, I did lose a loved one uh, about a month into the pandemic uh, from, oh. from the virus and, and the complications from it in his heart. Uh, we, you know, had other changes that took place. But yeah, uh, in May of uh, May 17th of 2020, I was just out on a um, motorcycle ride. And you know, I just ride country roads, I ride safe, I dress safe, but I don't, I don't know what happened. Uh, they put sand on the roads here in the winter. So I'm going to blame it on not my not user error. I ended <laughs> up in the hospital. I woke up, I guess, three hours later in the hospital. 
And um, I don't really remember what happens. They say that your brain goes into survival mode. So your short-term memory is shut down. I have very, very small snippets of memory. But I remember waking up in the hospital with a voice behind me. And the uh, nurse was saying in the trauma room saying, sir, sir, where are you from? What country are you from? And I said, I'm from here. Why? Why are you asking me that? And she said, because you've been talking out loud in a language I've never heard, you know, for the last 10 minutes. That's what she said. You've been speaking out loud in a language I haven't heard for the last 10 minutes. And I, um, I probably was a little medicated. So I said out loud in the trauma room, that's my heavenly prayer language. I'm a Christian. And there was no response after that. It was pretty quiet. Um, and that, that actually encouraged me. Like when I saw what happened there, because I realized at a moment that I wasn't in my greatest moment of strength, that there was something inside of me that I had cultivated, that God had placed inside of me, but I cultivated it that came out at a, at a moment that I was at my at a weakest point. And I think that's true for all of us, that we all have been through um, some traumatic experiences, some things that we didn't expect. Uh, we woke up and, and said, how did we get here? But yeah. if we've cultivated that time with the Lord, if we've cultivated our inner life, that's what's going to come out of us in times that we need it. In fact, just a couple hours later, they took me up to my um, recovery rooms on the seventh floor of the hospital. And I was in my bed and the nurse came in, the floor nurse came in to introduce myself and take, to introduce herself and take some of my information. And she's typing in her computer, asking me questions. And I said to her, your voice sounds really familiar. Were you one of the nurses downstairs? And she said, yes, I was, sir. And I said to her, are you, do you happen to be the nurse that asked me advice from another country? And she said, um, she didn't answer my question. I, when I asked her, are you the nurse that, that asked me if I was from a different country? She said, sir, it's okay. People say strange things when they're on medicine. So she immediately assumed that, you know, I was the way I was because I was on medicine, but I, I assured her it wasn't. I said, no, I say strange things even when I'm not medicated. So <laughs> don't worry. And I, and I, and I told her who I was. I'm a follower of Jesus. You know, Jesus talks to me and I felt like he's talking to me for you. And I asked her some questions. Do you have an eight-year-old daughter? She said, yes, that's strange, but I do. I said, does she love to like to draw cartoon characters? And she said, this is getting weird. Um, who are you? <laughs> and I said, this isn't really about who I am, but I want to talk to you about Jesus because Jesus tells me that your daughter, her greatest love is to play the piano and sing. Um, and she had a teacher that was really hard on her. So she gave up the piano and singing, but Jesus really loves it when she plays the piano and sings. Um, and my nurse in tears um, told me about her daughter and how she gave up the piano and I got to tell my nurse how much Jesus loved her. And, uh, and I led her to the Lord right there at a really weak moment. Uh, and it, well, I wasn't even trying. It, it, honestly, Kim, like we know how ministry works. You know, yes. we're, we're like, like we want to touch those people that are in front of us. I was not thinking about ministering to her. I was just kind of just being in a conversation with a person that was in my space and whatever I had cultivated in my inner life kind of came out at that moment when I was weak, he was strong and maybe he was stronger because I was weaker. I, I don't know. I don't want to create a theology around that, but I do know it's, it's biblical. So yes. in his, in yes. our weakness, his strength is made perfect. It's not in our perfection that his strength is manifested. It's in our weakness. And what are the places of weakness 
um, has God invited us to embrace so that his strength can be made perfect in those times. So is it prophetic for everyone? I don't know, but it can be encouraging for everyone because I can tell you there were a lot of things that came out of my mouth in 2020 that shouldn't have. But at a moment that it, it, I needed something to come out of my mouth that, that would sustain me and, and help the people around me, that's what came out, um, was his words and his spirit. And anyone that's listening here, you may look over the last season of your life and, and wonder what happened or wonder how you got here. But I want to tell you what is inside of you. You've, you've been prepared for where you're at and where you need to go. And, he, and if you haven't cultivated those things, it's not too late to cultivate them. But I have a sneaky suspicion. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably have cultivated some things inside of you that you're going to need for the season that you're in right now. And you need, you need to just tap into that place where it feels like weakness and know that his strength is made perfect. It's mature. It's full. It's complete in your weakness. That's so important. That's so important. Well, Bob, we are coming to the end and I want to know if there's anything left on your heart that you wanted to say. Is there anything that you, that you feel strongly about that you want to just uh, go ahead and talk about right now? And then um, would you pray for our people, for our listeners? I, I would, I would love to. And really what's on my heart is I, I believe one of the things that God's doing, and this is a podcast about the prophetic, um, and I'm not sure if that's the topic you're always talking about. That's one you wanted to talk about today, and I want to talk about it with you. We do um, need to come to a place of maturity, completion, the next level. I think it's important because the gifts that God gives they not don't just need mature expressions, but they need mature people in them, Mm -hmm. and so. We need to mature as individuals and we need mature expressions of these gifts. But yeah. the way that these the expressions of these gifts are matured is all not just through individuals that are mature, but by a completeness of expression. And I believe um, some of the incompleteness in the expression of the prophetic is because we haven't had enough female voices. Mm-hmm. And I want to speak to that. I believe that one of the ways God is raising up maturity in the prophetic movement is he's raising up some powerful, whole, healthy um, female voices that will complete what God is saying in the earth. And I think that's to do with diversity of culture, as well as, you know, having those feminine voices. But I want to speak to that because I believe it's a lot harder um, for girls. I'm a dad. I have two daughters. I grew up with um, three sisters. I even had a female dog as my first dog for a while. I'm like, (laughs) why am I always surrounded by these powerful women? I have a strong wife with a strong voice. I had strong girls. And I felt like the Lord said, um, the reason that you've been surrounded by, you know, these powerful, beautiful women your whole life isn't just because, you know, you're a dude, but because at the moment of time that you're going to be a father in the church is in the moment of time that I'm going to be releasing and revealing um, strong female voices in the church. Mm. And they need to have um, males that will understand and empower them and, and release them and, and just yes. get out of their way, but sometimes give them permission. 
And so what I want to do for you, and I, I feel like one of the things I've learned with my daughters and my wife as well, they don't always need my empowerment because we say we want to empower women. That actually implies that they're not powerful. <laughs> and I don't want to say <laughs> we want to empower you as men. We want to empower you because we're so powerful. We men want to empower you. No, yeah. we're just saying we give you permission to be you. And we actually ask you to be you because we need you. Like we yeah. need your voices. We want your voices and whatever level that we as leaders need to, to, to say, you have permission to do that. For instance, let me just say this with my daughters, you know, they've made really good choices in their relationships and I'm super proud of them. But there was a moment of time I did with my older daughter, I did with my younger daughter more recently where I said, you know, as a dad, I just want you to know how proud of you I am for making decisions and friendships and relationships and really trying to honor God in your life. And I want to bless you. And I want to release you and give you permission to have relationships that are healthy and that you will, you know, one day find that primary relationship. I, I give you permission to, to be seen and to be heard and to be, and to be discovered by that person who needs to discover you. That was just a personal conviction for me. Like I needed as a, dad who wanted to protect them. I also need to give them permission to be seen and to be heard. And so for whatever it means for anybody that's listening to here as a spiritual father, for whatever authority or, or connection this has to you, I just want to give you permission to be seen and heard. I, I, I just want you to be discovered by the people that are supposed to discover you and to be hidden from the people who aren't supposed to discover you to be protected because that's how the father is. He doesn't want you to be revealed to everyone. He wants you to be discovered by those who you're called to be a voice to and you're called to receive from. So, yeah, I just say to the daughters, be discovered, you know, be seen, be heard, but be protected and, 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 and be you because we need you. That is so good right now. We have so many. We have so many young women who are looking to be um, released and given permission to, to uh, step into, you know, what they have seen as a, a man's world, which uh, can be true, not so true always. And, uh, but to step in as women of the Lord, women of God, who, um, who know who they are, who are, uh, able to step into using their gifts and allowing their gifts to make room for them, you know, without attaching themselves to a feminist sort of a movement that lies to them about, about uh, their power and, you know, encourages them to uh, come out of oppression, turn around and then be an oppressor. And, um, and that's how I see the women's movement, actually, that not the not I'm talking about radical feminism. I think it's very dangerous for our young women. And uh, I would like to see them raised up uh, in the in the movement in the charismatic movement and in the in the movement that the spirit is bringing, because I think the Holy Spirit is raising up women in unprecedented ways in this time. So thank you for saying that. That's great. So would you pray for my listeners, Bob, as we close and uh, and those of you who are listening, thank you for coming and being a part of our episode in the Move Forward podcast. And we hope that we'll, you, we will see you again next time. We bless you. And uh, please receive the prayers of, of Bob Hazlett as we close. 
Yeah, so I, I just want to pray the words of Jesus in Matthew 13 over you, that <laughs> blessed are your eyes, they will see things that prophets long to see. Blessed are your ears, they'll hear things that prophets long to hear. Blessed is your heart, because it will understand things that prophets long to understand, and that you have eyes to see, you have ears to hear, and you have a heart to understand. So go see, hear, and feel what the Father sees, hears, and feels, and be his voice. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We'll see you next time on the Move Forward podcast. Thank you for joining us for the Move Forward podcast. We would love for you to rate this podcast and share it with a friend. You can connect with Dr. Kim on social media. For those links and more, visit her website, kimmoss.com. Host Dr. Kim Moss leads Kim Moss Ministries and Women of Our Time. She is the author of Prophetic Community, The Way of the Kingdom, Facing Ziklag, and The Four Questions. You can find those books on Amazon. Remember, never throw away your confidence. It is time to move forward. Thank you.